So we are uh, continuing our series in evangelism, and this morning I want us to reflect upon the, the idea of what type of people does God call to share the gospel. Like when you think of those who are evangelists, when you think of those who are effective at sharing the gospel, what, what type of people come to mind? Assuming for, for many of us who, who know Christ, we, we kind of have this picture in our mind of those who are strong in their faith, those who maybe are sharp and, and can come up with good answers uh, on the spot. Maybe they're outgoing and maybe even a little bit pushy, but in a good way. Uh, those of you in the room this morning who don't profess faith in Christ, maybe you think of the evangelists as those dudes who stand on street corners and scream at people, maybe a little bit self-righteous, uh, those who like to tell you you're a sinner but don't like to acknowledge their own sins. So we can have a lot of impressions about the type of people that are quote-unquote good evangelists. But the question is, is are, are our impressions accurate? Are, are, are those that God actually calls into the ministry of sharing the gospel, the way we see those people that are good at that, what makes them good at that, do we have the correct impression? Now, certainly some who are good at evangelism are sharp. They're strong in their faith. They're bold. They're very good and quick on their feet. Some can be pushy, and sadly, some can be self-righteous. But what God's word shows us, and what we're going to reflect on this morning, is that even though our impression may be that the evangelists are somewhat kind of the spiritual Navy SEALs, whatever that means, um, those who are maybe extra mature or extra smart or extra bold, in God's word we see that those he calls to share the gospel are not spiritual Navy SEALs. They're the broken. They're the sinner. They're the suffering. They're the weak. God calls those who are past themselves in their own righteousness to follow him and to declare the good news of Jesus Christ in this world. Because those who are best equipped to take the gospel to a broken and sin-filled world are those who best understand their own brokenness and their own need for salvation. It's not those who stand over people and say, you're a sinner, turn to Jesus. It's those who stand next to others and saying, I'm a sinner just like you. I need Jesus. Let me tell you what he has done and what he can do for you. And when we have this sense of our need for the gospel, when we have this sense of our own brokenness, when we have a sense of that, that we are most in need of the gospel, what this does is it gives us boldness and it also frees us from complacency. It keeps us from not caring about those who do not know Christ. And so this is what I want to do this morning. Three things uh, that, that I want to I push on and challenge us in and encourage us with. First, those of you in this room this morning who think you are too sinful, too broken, too flawed to share the gospel with others, I want to encourage you. I want to gently challenge you, but I want to encourage you with this truth. No, you're not. Because what qualifies you to share the gospel is not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. And if you bear that righteousness, you are not too broken, too flawed, too sinful to share the gospel. Second, I want us all to guard against a self-righteous, defensive posture in our evangelism. Oh, in our culture that is so increasingly hostile and so broken and so divided, where antagonism and hostility seem to be the coin of the realm, where, where the more antagonistic I can get, the more power I can get. I want us to guard against that in our, our 
proclamation of the gospel. And third, I want to light a sort of gospel fire in us as we consider who Christ is and what he has done. I want us to battle against complacency, not with the latest and greatest evangelistic technique, but with a bigger view of who Christ is and what he has done in our lives. Because if we're captured by that, then complacency dies. And it doesn't matter what strategy we use, we will be bold and we will be intentional and we will be faithful to share the gospel. So using Mark 3, 13 through 19 as our starting point, here are the three points that we're going to consider uh, to accomplish the goal for this morning. One is that God chooses broken people. Two is God redeems broken people. And three, God sends broken people. So turning to Mark 3, uh, in this passage, this is Jesus choosing his 12 disciples. Uh, at this point in the narrative, there are a whole host of people who are following Jesus, but he singles out these 12 men as his particular disciples, the one he's going to entrust the gospel with, the one he's going to give authority and responsibility and leadership to, and the ones who are going to begin this great work of mission and church planning that we see in the book of Acts. And so let me ask you this. If, you're, if you were going to start a business or a nonprofit that had the backing from all the best investors and a legitimate, serious potential to change the world, what type of people are you going to recruit to that cause? What type of people do you want to recruit to lead your organization? I'm guessing we would probably need a brilliant and busy, a business-minded, savvy CEO, someone who is a good at leading organizations. We probably want an eloquent and dynamic director of communications a CFO who, not, who knows how to get the best return on investment. We'd probably go to all the Ivy League schools. We'd go to Silicon Valley. We'd go to all the places where the brightest and the best hang out and are educated and get trained and try to recruit from there. We'd want those who are culturally savvy and, and good with people, those who have a, a kind of a worldly wisdom and that they can navigate the business world and the startup community and all, all the dynamics that go into a successful business. Because in the United States especially, we go bigger, we go home. Failure's not an option. And so we have to go get the best. Now, what type of dudes did Jesus choose? For his great mission of saving the entire world, of going and transforming history as we know it, and God's incredible redemptive uh, plan in history, what kind of guys did Jesus choose to lead this? Well, you have Peter, James, and John. Blue-collar workers, fishermen who all had a bit of an anger problem. I mean, Peter went after a guy who was going to arrest Jesus with a sword and he wasn't going after his ear. James and John got their nickname, Sons of Thunder, because they asked Jesus if he could rain down fire on the Samaritans because they would not listen to the gospel. That's some anger issues if you want to rain down fire on people. These three also had some issues with racism. Peter towards the Gentiles, and James and John towards the Samaritans. They were also cowards. Peter denies Jesus three times. James and John wanted positions of authority in Jesus' kingdom, and they go get their mom to ask Jesus for those positions. <laughs> or how about Matthew? As Pastor Paul talked about last week, Matthew was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his own people. He was probably greedy and that he swindled those he should have been loyal to out of money. Greedy and dishonest. Or how about Simon the Zealot, 
who violently opposed Roman occupation. He was a domestic terrorist. Now, think about this. You have domestic terrorist who hates Roman occupation, and you have Matthew, the tax collector, who represents being a traitor to his people. And Jesus says, hey, come, follow me. You're both going to be in my crew. Now, he's not mentioned in this passage, but later in the book of Acts, we see the apostle Paul, who was a highly educated Pharisee. He had anger issues. He violently persecuted the church, dragging many Christians to their death. Later, he fights with Barnabas over Mark, and we see him talking back to the high priest when he's accused. Paul had a bit of a temper. And so let me ask you again, if you were going to start a business with global impact, would you choose the farmer or auto mechanic or factory worker with anger issues and racist tendencies? Would you choose the liberal government bureaucrat who puts the interests of, a, of an oppressive system over people? Would you choose the guy who's part of a right-wing domestic terrorist organization? Or how about the highly educated, self-righteous thought leader who isn't afraid to literally put people to death who disagreed with him? I mean, these guys have some baggage, to say the least, and this is who Jesus chooses. This is who Jesus calls out to be the leaders of his rescue mission. And so in light of the baggage of these men, let me, let me ask you, what's yours? What is the thing in your mind that you have sort of put up as the reason why God could never use you? Or God isn't going to call you to share the gospel or you shrink back? Is it anger? Is it that maybe in your heart reside some racist tendencies? Maybe you see your addiction to alcohol or food or pornography Maybe you have issues with money. Maybe you see your marriage is just erect or your parents or your kids are out of control and you think you're a lousy parent. Maybe you think you have a lack of education, lack of Bible knowledge. Maybe you see yourself, I'm just too shy and quiet. What is it that you sort of put up as the reason why God could never use you? What keeps you from believing that God wants you to share the gospel with others and can use you? Now, here's the truth. Jesus called his disciples to follow him into his great redemptive mission, and he did not call the strong and the powerful. He never calls the strong and the powerful. Why? Because the strong and powerful think they're the be-all and end-all. They don't see their need. And so here's the truth for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not because you made a great decision and because you are more moral. It's because God came and got you and saved you, and redeemed you, and rescued you. He pulled you out of a place of weakness. He didn't go and find the put-together, and the educated, and the beautiful, and everybody who, who has all the success. He came and pulled you out of your weakness, and your brokenness. And this is what God does over, and over, and over again. We can start right back at the beginning of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Samuel, and David, and Jonah. Go, the list goes on and on. Anyone who God has used in a remarkable and powerful way has been a horrible mess of a person. And this is one of the most powerful arguments for Scripture's authenticity. It's utterly realistic about people and their condition. The heroes of the faith aren't always heroic. They're messy like you and me, but God calls them nonetheless. And so if this is what you say, I'm too broken to share the gospel, guess what? Good. Just like everybody else God calls, you're in a good position. And so God calls, God chooses broken people. 
God not only chooses broken people, God redeems broken people. Now, in acknowledging that God causes, God calls and chooses broken people, we need to avoid, avoid a particular mistake. So our culture, and even within a church culture, trumpets authenticity. We love authenticity. That's why we love reality TV. Put your junk out there. Let me see your mess. Let me see your brokenness and your sin and your flaws. Because if I, if I can sort of just be honest about that and put that out there, that's a good thing. But the problem with that is too often authenticity is done just for authenticity's sake. It's, here's my junk, I'm going to be real, and that's all the further it goes. And we have to be careful we don't fall into this trap. Authenticity is not the highest good. We must never forget that God not only calls, but he also redeems and restores broken people. Scripture makes very clear that Christ's death and his victory over sin and death changes everything. And so when he calls these men, he's not calling them into, hey, just, just tell me your junk, just be authentic. He's calling them into something that's going to transform them and change them and restore them. He transforms angry, self-centered, self-righteous, foolish, fearful, rebellious, racist, greedy people into those who are filled with love and kindness and others focused, who live for the glory of God, who give, who are wise, who are forgiving, and are willing to submit to proper authority. When we turn from our sin and follow Christ, something dramatic happens. This is what Christ has accomplished. And so Peter, the coward, who abandoned Jesus, boldly stood up on the day of Pentecost to preach the gospel. He endured persecution and imprisonment and ultimately death. The one who tried to take off the head of one working for the authorities showed respect to those authorities trying to persecute him. The one who had a racist attitude towards Gentiles went and preached the gospel and welcomed them in to God's covenantal people. Matthew, who was given over to bureaucratic power and position, who used government as a means of gain, submitted to the one true king and opened his home and loved people and welcomed them. John, who wanted to rain down fire on a group of people, became an outspoken champion of loving others and wrote some of the most beautiful passages in scripture about love. Paul turned his back on his self-righteous, angry, murderous identity and poured out his life that others may know Christ. What was the common denominator in all these men's lives? They knew Jesus. They'd been transformed by Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me. And they did. They had a real relationship with Jesus. And it changed them. When you put your faith in Christ, you cannot help but be changed. Because when you follow Jesus. When you repent of your sin, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins this great work renewing and restoring you. Now, authenticity is important. It's good because it leads us to acknowledge our brokenness and our sin and leads us to repentance. But authenticity can only go so far. It can only acknowledge what is broken. It can only be honest about what is broken, but it can do nothing to save you. It can do nothing to change you. Authenticity for authenticity's sake leaves you in your mess, leaves you in your sins. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus sets you free from that. Jesus says, acknowledge your sin, repent of your sin, give that over, and no freedom, no transformation, no restoration. And that is what our hope is, is that it is in Christ and his power. If you are in Christ, 
This is an incredible promise. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Wrap your mind around that for a second. The same power that pulled Jesus out of the grave is in you if you belong to Christ. Greater than your sin, greater than your suffering, greater than any obstacle you may face, greater than any limitation in your education or in your intellect, the power that raised Jesus from the grave is in you, working in you, transforming you. And yes, in this life, we will never be completely perfect. We're always going to have to live with the reality of our sin and our brokenness. But what does living with that reality and that awareness do? Properly, it drives us back to Jesus. It keeps taking us back to grace. It keeps taking us back to our only source of hope. It constantly reminds us that we are needy people, that we need the grace of God. We need Christ to change us and transforms us. It constantly pushes us to fall in dependence on the love and mercy of God, to depend on his goodness and loving kindness. And so church, this is why we don't need to fear our brokenness. Yes, we take it seriously. Yes, we acknowledge it, but we don't need to fear it. Because when we keep taking our sin and our brokenness to the cross, we become more aware of the power of Christ. We become more aware of his grace in our life. We become more aware of his love towards us because we keep seeing in the midst of all of our brokenness and sin, he keeps loving us and he keeps working on us and keeps being faithful to us. We become more aware of the amazing reality of what Jesus did for us. We do not need to fear our brokenness and our sin. And so this morning, are you more aware of your sin and your brokenness than you are aware of the power that is in you through Jesus Christ? I want to call you back to the gospel. I want to remind you of what God has done. And so here again, these disciples and these apostles and what they say, what they were aware of. So Peter, the coward, the racist, was so transformed by Jesus. He could have been caught up in his brokenness and in his weakness, but this is what he writes in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That was more real to Peter than his sin. Or John in 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And then Paul, writing in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Church, the truth of what God has done in Jesus Christ for us the truth of the hope that we have, the power that resides in us is so much greater than the sin and the brokenness we can get mired in. And so let these truths be a constant reminder to you. May it lead you to a sweeter and sweeter experience of God's love and mercy. May it shine light to you that he is relentlessly faithful to you. Let it cause you to experience grace, not as an abstract concept that we talk about. Oh, grace, yeah, grace. 
but something that is real and has teeth and is at work in your life. And so what this means is be more willing to repent because at the end of that is grace. We, we should be excited to repent in the sense that when I do, there is grace for me. There is Jesus holding out his love and his kindness and his mercy to transform me and change me and set me free. And we are more willing to embrace weakness because when we do that, we better know the love and the power and the faithfulness of God. So if this morning you are more aware of your sin, keep taking that sin to the Lord. Keep repenting, keep experiencing grace, and keep putting your confidence in what Christ has done. Bathe yourself in the truths of the gospel and the power that is working your life. So God chooses broken people, he redeems broken people, and God sends broken people. God calls them, redeems them, and sends them into a great mission. That ragtag, broken group of dudes in Mark 3, Christ sends them in the world to proclaim and make disciples and plant churches. And in Acts 4, we get a glimpse of Peter and John and how they had been so transformed by Jesus and the impact this had on them as he sent them into the world. This is what Acts 4 says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing behind, beside them, they, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And notice how they get labeled. Common, uneducated. Throwing out in front of them all the reasons why they shouldn't be proclaiming Jesus. Hey, you're, you're not smart enough. You're, you're not good enough. You have no standing. You have no authority. You have no charisma and all the things that could be put in front of them to shut them down and shame them right there in front of them. But what was more real to them? What, what was more real to Peter and John in that moment where they could very easily have said, you know what, you're right. We're common, we're uneducated, we don't know enough. We can't stand here. Hey, remember how we betrayed Jesus in the past? Remember how we had anger and racist problems in the past? All the, all the sin in our life? I'm not worthy. We, don't, we, we, don't, we shouldn't be standing here doing this. But what was more real to them is what they had seen and heard and what Christ had done for them. And so they could not help but speak the gospel. They could not help but proclaim. They could not help but be faithful to what Jesus had called them to do. How Christ had sent them in the world to declare what they had seen and heard Go share this story of a kingdom that is full of freedom and forgiveness and hope and restoration and healing. Being with Jesus so transformed them that it was their identity as a follower of Christ that was more real to them than their weakness or their limitations. This is what made them good evangelists. In many ways, we don't need new strategies. I, like, we could read books on evangelistic strategies, but, but I don't know if that's what we really need. Because we're all evangelists in our own right. 
If you think about the things we are excited about, we're evangelists. So I think of my wife Mindy's love of Trader Joe's. If you've been around Mindy, if you know her, you know she is an evangelist for Trader Joe's. Everything they sell in there is good. I mean, and if you've been there, you understand why. But she loves this place. She loves it so much that one time she was in line and she was just singing the praises of how much she loved the store. And she didn't know that she was talking to the manager and the manager offered her a job right on the spot. It's like, hey, you can work here. Those of you who know me, you know that I'm an evangelist for the TV show This Is Us. I am counting down the days until season two premieres. You all have your things. We all have our things. And here's what's great when we're an evangelist for something like that. You don't need a strategy to talk about what you love. Like, I don't need a strategy. I'm just going to tell you about it. And yeah, if I get into a debate with somebody about why one show is better than another, or Mindy talks about why Trader Joe's is better than Baker's, we might have to come up with some arguments and explanations and kind of get into conversation. But mostly we don't worry about those things because we're so convinced it's great. And so it's not about strategy. It's about how it's gripped us. And so for us as those who follow Jesus Christ, what is going to make us more effective evangelists is not the latest and greatest strategy, but being so convinced about what Jesus has done to transform us, so aware of what the power of the gospel means and how he has rescued us and saved us. And so for us to become more effective evangelists, become more faithful evangelists, what we need really is to be more and more gripped but the grace of God in our life and the power that is at work in our lives. This is what is going to battle fear. This is what is going to battle complacency because what happens with complacency? You've lost sight of how much Jesus has done for you. Like if you're complacent about sharing the gospel, could it be that you've lost sight of the grace of God in your own life? You've lost sight of how much he has rescued you from and pulled you out of, how much he loves you and pursues you and is at work in your life. And so church, it is being aware of our brokenness and how that leads us into a deeper relationship with Jesus that is going to fuel evangelism. It's going to fuel our desire to share the gospel with those who do not know Christ. And so here, here is a practical takeaway, though, for us. In, in your lives, with the friends and the coworkers and the family members and the neighbors and those, those that you engage that do not know Jesus, how are you living your life in front of them in such a way that they see the power of the gospel at work in your life? That, that you're not afraid of, of letting them see some of your sin and some of your weakness and some of your brokenness because it's right there that you're going to be able to tell about how Jesus is entering into that. Allowing people to see some of your mess and, and to see that God is rescuing you and saving you and, and walking alongside people and saying, hey, look, I'm just like you. I need Jesus I'm not better than you. And so to invite people into our lives, to live our lives in such a way that people see our need for the gospel is a powerful, powerful testimony. It's going to open doors. It's going to allow us to share the gospel in ways that are real and honest and authentic. And so church, let's, let's be open about it. Let's, let's be authentic about who we are. And as a community, as people come into this church, they come into gospel community, they come on Sunday, let them find a group of people who are not afraid to say, hey, yeah, here's my mess, here's my junk, but let me tell you about who Jesus is and what he has done. And we're so radically in love with him because of that. That's, 
That, that's where we're going to see practically this played out. And, and, and so really, it doesn't require reading a book or going to a seminar or, or doing some of those, those things which are good. Really, it just means living our life with a deeper awareness of what God has done and letting that shine a light on the gospel for those who are in this city. And so church, let's not let our mess and our sin and our complacency keep us from sharing the gospel. Let's take our eyes off ourselves and fix our eyes on Christ and what he has done. And and let's get a bigger and deeper view of what he has called us into. Jesus Christ, the sovereign king of the universe, has invited us into his redemptive mission and said, join me in this. Follow me. Tell others about me. Make disciples. And so let our story, let our lives be caught up in that great redemptive narrative, that great gospel story. And as we do this, let's follow Jesus into this world with the gospel on our lips and let's watch him radically transform not only us, but those we love and are close to in our city and our world. Amen.